Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wooden. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Matt, so, Lieb, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I just got married. You did just get married. I got you did married just get to married. F- former guest Francesca Fiorentini. Yeah. You know, yeah, one of our favorite guests with our least favorite. Oh shit! Oh, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> I'm just being an asshole. We love you. I love you. That's why I've brought you on to read you a twelve thousand word script about. Um, oh, a script. Uh, oh, a, a script. That's right, Matt. Um, because because I do love you. We have such a good time talking. Yeah. And I wanted to celebrate I'm that, sorry. that you you have embarked on this new chapter of your life. Yeah, love. By making you very sad. Yeah, um, I actually, this is the perfect palate cleanser to a weekend of joy. That's right, that's right. Coming on this podcast <laughs> and just being just torn to shreds emotionally. Because there's going to be need. no joy here. Matt. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel... How do you feel? Uh, first off, I guess, have you ever heard of a motherfucker named Harlan Carter? Harlan Carter? I don't think so. Okay. Okay. Is that Jimmy Carter's brother? Oh boy, not at all. That would be Billy Carter. And yeah, Billy yeah, Carter yeah, yeah. will be on our, our episode behind the heroes. Uh, yeah. Cause for his he seems invention pretty chill. I, I thought yeah. you were going to ruin, you know, that guy. Cause uh, he seemed God. pretty dope. Can you imagine back when like the biggest scandal a president had was that like his brother made bad beer? Right, like, my yeah. God, what a time! Yeah, <laughs> what, what, 70s, a, what an administration! <laughs> yeah, it was just like, hey, his brother's too cool. Yeah, dudes, dudes were not supposed to rock this much. Mm-hmm. That was, yeah. uh, you know, that was the biggest. We got to get this had. guy out of the White House and put in a dude who's <laughs> gonna do part of a genocide. Anyway, mm-hmm. Matt, how do you feel about the proliferation of firearms in American society? Um, I'm pro. Okay. I think, 
I think, uh, you know, the more guns, the better, obviously, uh, nothing, you know, uh, the only thing that, uh, stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. I think we all know that. Um, and I think it's, or, or 19 cool. good guys with guns stacked outside of a classroom for 78 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Dude, just kind of sitting around waiting to be waiting like, to be Oh good man, guys. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to be a hero. I'll just uh, give it another 45 minutes. <laughs> you got to clock in first. Yes. Matt, so it's interesting. It's fun that we got to the military, the incompetent militarization of police, because this is a thing. One of the things that's frustrating, obviously uh, you and I may have some slightly different attitudes towards firearms, but I'm, I'm, I, mm. I, I'm frustrated with uh, American gun culture, which I think is primarily toxic. Uh, and also the culture of police militarization, which yeah. is a hundred percent toxic. Yep. Um, and the guy we're going to talk about today, Harlan Carter is the dude who started both of those things. He's the guy oh, who started shit. militarizing the police and he's the guy who made the NRA. Um, so <laughs> it is Ooh. Sophie's got a picture of him. He looks Jeez. like he looks like who you would cast if you were yes. putting Kingpin that yes, like comic book gonna, villain. He looks yeah. like Kingpin. Like he, he looks literally like looks Kingpin. exactly like Kingpin. Looks oh um, my god. And uh, spoiler oh, sorry for body shaming would, the NRA guy. <laughs> I would prefer any gangster to. It's not even body shaming. He just yeah. looks like like his his neck is the width of his ears. No, he's um, like a literal dickhead. Like it is yeah. the most dickheadish head I've yeah. ever seen. He is a chode. Someone poured into a suit. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that this is what what Joe Rogan was like. I want this, and then if that's Joe, where if he Joe based Rogan style off of. Uh, yes. some someone has been cutting Joe Rogan's HGH with lemon juice just to try to keep him from getting too huge. But yeah. if Joe got the amount of HGH that he intended to shoot into his testicles, this is he how would, he would look. Yeah, he would look like yeah. this guy. His Very, neck would be even thicker. He's exactly the way you are picturing him in your mind, mm-hmm. listeners. <laughs> He's he does just, kind of look like because Alex Jones has that thick yes, neck, but he's he like not he's, that not he he's a little Jones, he's smaller. Yeah, and and uh, Joe Rogan's got that that big muscle muscle guy head. If like yeah. Joe Rogan and Alex Jones, if you like in vitro fertilized, like cut their sperm in half and like merged them together with <laughs> the egg from like a dead California condor, you would yeah. get Harlan Carter. What's better is this painting of him where he literally looks like Doctor Evil. He oh, does. Shit. He does look like Doctor Evil. Who painted him? I don't. know. Oh, a lot of people. A He's lot, a very a lot important of person. That we would not get drinks with. Fair. So we're going to have to start by discussing the history of gun control in the United States, and because this is the United States, that also started with white supremacy. I can only <laughs> yes, like just from uh, yeah. this is just a guess, yeah. but I bet you gun control laws uh, that have been enacted were mostly racist. Yeah, it's, it's one guess. of those things when you get these you get these arguments online where like people will be like gun culture is white supremacist. And it's like, yeah, an awful lot of it is. And then folks who are pro gun will be like, well, gun control is white supremacist. And you're both right because it's the United States of America. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's like, if you try, it's like people talking about like, oh, well the democratic party used to be uh, like, was a a white supremacist party for a very long time. And it's like, yeah, yes. Yes. (laughs) Both major U S parties are primarily rooted in white supremacy. A hundred percent. And it's always, it's always super weird that, you know, whenever someone is just like, nah, and it's yeah. like, what, why are you, you don't need to be so attached to being a Democrat that you're just going to yeah, refuse like, to believe 
that it's and this doesn't make an argument one way or the other about gun control because like you could sure. say that, like zoning laws have a lot yes. of the rooting in white supremacy it doesn't mean zoning shouldn't exist right because yes. fundamentally yeah factories maybe shouldn't be in the same place as apartment right. complexes right. but um that also that like yeah anyway whatever we're gonna do our Robert oh yeah we're doing gun control so. we're doing crt on this podcast this is gonna be a little a little bit yeah we're getting into a lot of stuff but we're gonna be talking a shitload about the border patrol uh but Ooh. first let's talk a little bit about the history of gun control in the united states obviously 1619 Thereabouts mm-hmm. is when the first African enslaved people are brought to the United States. Uh, well, it wasn't the United States then, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the colonies against their will. Um, and not that long after, in 1680, which is pretty quick considering how slow things went back then, the Virginia Assembly passed one of, if not the earliest, gun control laws in the colonies. Um, now, this law did not restrict the ability of white people to be armed. It might even be more accurate to say it wasn't gun control, but weapons control. Mm. Um, but this law passed in 1680 made it a crime for any African American to carry a weapon or weapon-like object. Now, Jeez. that last term there is interesting, Matt, because... You could, I mean, I, I like as a man, right? Anytime mm-hmm. you're out in the world, you think about all the different things you could use as weapons. Everything if you had to. is like, a it's, weapon. It's, it's just yes. a thing it's, that happens. I enter yes. every room going, what could I use for self-defense? Mm-hmm. And if, or if I just felt like harming yeah. someone. Yeah. If I had Stapler. to defend myself against the 84-year-old man next to me in the post office, how hard yeah. could I hit him with one of these empty cardboard boxes? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> in the genes of, of every dude is mm-hmm. just Mark Wahlberg going i would have stopped 911 if i had been on that plane God. and you know that's that's all of us it would have been so funny it would have been really funny if he'd like if he'd stopped it but then he'd had to try to land the plane and had accidentally <laughs> crashed it into the white house like oh god Anyway, so as you might guess, the the vagueness around the term weapon like object mean that meant that this law, it didn't just like ban black people from from carrying guns. Um, Mm -hmm. It meant that they could be punished brutally for holding any object if it could be used to hit somebody. This started what wound up being like a more than a century long tradition of elderly black people being banned from having canes. Oh, my God. Because you can hit yeah. someone with the cane, right? As Gandalf yeah. showed us, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, weren't, was... they weren't being fooled by that in Virginia in 1680. Yeah. Yes, we will pardon old man from his walking stick. <laughs> I know a wizard staff when I see one. <laughs> you think I don't know you're going to cast a spell? <laughs> <laughs> now... This being 60 years after the forced importation of African slaves to the continent, the 1680 law was aimed at slaves, obviously, but Mm -hmm. it applied equally. There were some freed black people in the colony at this period, and it applied to them as well. The law was amended in 1723 to specify that Africans, uh, African-Americans were not allowed to use firearms for any purpose, be it hunting or self-defense. And again, 1723, it's kind of important to be able to use a a gun, you know, just if you're living in the Virginia frontier. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, a lot of other people with guns and uh, it seems well, just like, like uh, a time to have one. <laughs> you need food and stuff, you yeah, know, and yeah. there's bears like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah how do you catch your food? Yes. If I'm, you are not allowed to use a gun, you can trap, but I, I think the purpose here, no one's thinking about like, they're not, they're, they're doing whatever they can to make these people's lives harder because like right. they're terrified of the existence of free black people. Yes. Of um, course. And under this law, a freed black person who defended himself from a white person using a firearm was committing a crime. Um, technically with any weapon, like is any, like 
any tool they were to use to defend themselves would be illegal. So gun control in the early colonies, um, most of the time, these kind of laws in Virginia were sort of the exceptions of the rule. Um, because it, as a rule, like there were, the laws were less kind of specifically banning certain things and more just kind of generally trying to make it possible for black people enslaved or free to challenge white supremacy in any way. Right. Um, So it wasn't just guns. And in fact that because guns were like not as good back then, those were less of a focus than some other objects that might surprise you. Possession of dogs by black people was heavily regulated in this period. Just Uh, having, they couldn't have dogs. Uh, well, it was not impossible, but it was very hard. If you were a black person who wanted to own a dog in Maryland in the early 1700s, for example, you were forced to get a license from the justice of the peace who was going to be a white man. Um, so it was not easy to get a license from a justice of the peace for this. Um, and if you managed to get one, you were still restricted to owning no more than one dog at a time. I- Mississippi banned the ownership of dogs for black people under any circumstances uh, and even allowed slave patrols to kill dogs found in the house of a black person. So the police tradition of shooting people's dogs yeah. is is very old indeed. Of course, I should have I, I should have known. Of course, dog control also yeah. uh, you know ties directly to white supremacy. Well, and it's one of those that you have to again weapons firearms are a lot less deadly back then. So, like a gun, right. you get one shot, and it's not easy to reload. Um, yeah. I think I mean, there are some revolvers. Teeth. But yeah. Do- yeah, a dog, a dog, you don't need to reload, right? A Doberman will nah. keep fucking going until it, going. you know, yeah. Um, so that's what, you know, white folks were particularly scared of. And again, it's also worth noting, obviously the prohibition against black people carrying guns or other weapons makes sense if you're afraid of a slave or, you know, just an uprising, right? Because a group of people with guns can do an uprising. You can't really effectively organize a bunch of dudes and their dogs to do an uprising together. It's hard (laughs) to do that. I'd like to see it though. It would be cool. That would be the greatest. What they're doing here, they don't want black people to be able to defend themselves from like mob violence, right? Like individual and families. They don't want them to have any kind of defense. If like, somebody wants to to do a murder you know jesus christ they're just like inventing inventing laws that are completely useless the idea that somehow this is like oh well we can't we can't kill that guy he lives in a a, a kennel filled with ravenous dogs surrounding him (laughs) like he's fucking (laughs) ramsey bolton (laughs) just like ready with hungry dogs to bite your dick off if i'm yeah (laughs) so In the late 1700s, spoilers, uh, the American Revolution broke out. Uh, Hell yeah. Yeah. And by 1787, we we have us a constitution. You know, we we, we fight them English, we beat them, and then we're like, oh boy, this first government we tried as a giant shit show. We should probably like give another shot at at this. And they they do a constitution. And eventually this constitution comes to include a Bill of Rights uh, and the now infamous Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to be talking a lot about the changing ways this has been interpreted through time. And despite what people on tend to say on either side of the modern issue, there are a couple of different ways to interpret how the so-called founding fathers intended it to function. And again, as a general rule, they weren't all in agreement about pretty much anything. Um, but one thing is perfectly clear. They did not see the right to bear arms as extending to black people. Now, yeah. 
black people were not categorically forbidden from owning weapons in the new United States. But in those states where it was legal for them to own arms, they were always required to register those weapons with the government. Uh, this was not the case for white people. Mm-hmm. While there was some hope during the revolution uh, among black Americans that independence would bring about an improvement in their circumstances. Um, and that was not unreasonable. Again, the British empire allowed slavery too. So at this stage in time, it's not like it's perfectly reasonable to hope that like, well, maybe things will get better when they don't have a king anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> and when that doesn't happen, there's some uprisings uh, in, in the new United States. In 1811, a Louisiana uprising of enslaved persons failed. Uh, and in response to this, New Orleans made it a crime for black people to carry weapons. And this was, again, primarily even more than guns, banned them from stuff like canes. Um crutches wheelchairs yeah any yeah definitely no one with an assault wheelchair (laughs) yeah yeah so as we've discussed in our behind the police series many southern police departments started as slave patrols made up of armed white dudes searching for escaped slaves and using weapons to keep a boot on the neck of even free black people in 1825 florida gave slave patrols the right to enter any black person's home and take away firearms ammunition or any other weapons found and obviously these kind as as is the case with no knock raids today these mm-hmm. often were basically just pretexts to kill people in their homes right by saying yeah. you felt threatened yeah now in the early 1860s obviously we have us a civil war over slavery and broadly speaking this goes pretty well uh if you mm-hmm. if you think slavery is bad us civil war broadly speaking is all, goes all right yeah, yeah um yeah. now one of the most kind of revolutionary aspects of the civil war is that for the first time in us history a shitload of black men are legally carrying guns in an organized way right. uh, 179,000 black people serve in the union army which is roughly 10% of its total Um, And you suddenly have tens of thousands of black men with guns marching across the U.S. South, which really freaks out people in the South. Yeah, that's got to be the (laughs) scariest thing. They they looked at that and they're like, see, this is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. This is the scary shit I did not want to happen. Yeah, this is why we're losing started this war that we're losing. (laughs) (laughs) So post-Civil War, um, black people are not immediately entitled to the same rights as white people. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting in 1865, which is the year the, the war ends states like former, you know, states that had lost basically start enacting black codes. Um, and these are kind of, okay, these people aren't slaves anymore, but we, we want to treat them that way. So let's just r- write new, let's just, we'll take the old laws that we had that restricted slaves from doing things in order to keep them under control. And we'll replace the word slave with servant or, you know, right. something similar so that we can try to hold them under the same laws. In Mississippi, black people were still banned from possessing weapons or ammunition. Uh, and if white people turned them in for this crime, they would be given their firearms as a reward. And again, this is after they've been freed. So they like should have the, the right to bear arms and whatnot. Right. Um, I want to quote now from a 2021 honors thesis by Alexandra Lenzetta from the University of Colorado. Quote. Other southern states to enact their own set of black codes were Alabama and Louisiana. Both states prohibited African-Americans, not including veterans, from owning guns without a license or special permit. Not surprisingly, these permits and licenses were controlled by white men, making it virtually impossible for a black man or woman to legally obtain a gun. This resulted in many blacks illegally purchasing guns, making the potential penalties of exposure even greater. 
Punishment for having an unlicensed firearm was a fine and confiscation of the weapon. Old slave patrols reemerged to enforce the black codes and to terrorize African Americans. This, along with a combination of great incentives to catch blacks with weapons and a hatred over their newfound freedom, created a white frenzy, making it extremely difficult to hide a gun as an African American. White frenzy is yeah. the worst frenzy. It's and it's 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 the most common frenzy too most, in this yeah, country. No, yeah. It's it's uh, it's yeah. our their most traditional American frenzy. Mm-hmm. But it is not is not a fun one. We do love us a frenzy. We love a frenzy. We love a good frenzy. We love a mm-hmm. bad frenzy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, eighteen sixty five, right? bunch of bunch of black codes come into effect to basically try and keep black people in similar positions to how they'd been during slavery, even mm-hmm. though the war was over. So, in eighteen sixty six, the U.S. Congress passes the Civil Rights Act, um, which th- this is like. There's a big old fight over this, and this is sure. the, this is the law that basically says. Hey, you actually have to, these people have the same rights that white people have under right. the Bill of Rights, right? Like, that's what yes. that does, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, things do get a lot better for a while, you know? Yeah, we, we Reconstruction talk bit, at yeah. this point was like, look, do you ever just like read up on Reconstruction and go like, holy shit, for a hot second there? <laughs> we seem to be on a good track for we a minute. We were on a good track. Like, it seemed like shit was going to like work out <laughs> yeah is th- things American. get a lot better for a while and then mm-hmm. there's a violent reaction from the reactionaries yeah. um and they do an insurgency which is kind of centered around the kkk uh mm-hmm. we have talked about this in other episodes uh, it ends with a series of demeaning bigoted laws aimed at maintaining white supremacy in the former confederacy mm-hmm. uh these are you know jim crow laws jim right crow. and yep. and these these come into place alongside a wave of lynchings which kill at least like five thousand black americans <laughs> obviously there's no way of knowing the actual total good chance it was significantly more but yeah at least five thousand um so in response black people do what you would expect they form militias you know Mm -hmm. they start carrying guns for what i I don't think i need to explain the logic here right Uh um and they organize to stop lynchings this culminates in louisiana in 1876 where a bunch of klansmen who are also government officials these are like elected leaders in louisiana who are also in the kkk are charged with conspiring to disarm a meeting of black americans basically like one of these groups of black folks had gotten together with guns to like figure out how to protect their community and these state officials like try to take their weapons away. Right. Um, a bunch of court shit happens. It goes to the Supreme court who rules in favor of the Ku Klux Klan saying that the state had the legal right to disarm this meeting to protect the common good. Um, <sighs> God. And you know, in this period of time, there's also one of the things that's happening during the lynching period is sometimes lynchings get stopped because the person who is attempted to be lynched has a gun and they shoot the people trying to lynch them. And when that happens, a number of laws are passed in different towns and states to ban the carrying of concealed firearms. And in fact, those are some of the first specific laws against the carrying of concealed handguns. Now, this is an area where like the kind of the anti-gun control people tend to focus entirely on this stuff. It's very much worth noting all gun control in the United States in this period is not based in white supremacy, in part because a lot of it is put in areas where like most of the population is white. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was, it's worth noting significantly more gun control in portions of the, like the, the so-called wild West Mm -hmm. um, than there are in a lot of those same States today Um, in places like the Dakotas and whatnot. It was common for the open carrying of firearms to be restricted in many towns. If a visitor came into town, they would be expected to leave their guns with the local police uh, before entering. They'd get like a, a little card or something. Um, You weren't supposed to like, like there were, it's, 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 
and there's, you know, a lot to be said about like why this is being done, but in general, it's being done because they see that it's, it's perfectly reasonable to say that like, well, there should be restrictions uh, on what you can do in town with a firearm, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, Walking and fact, around with a gun seems, uh, I don't know, threatening. Yeah. You know? They they certainly don't want you doing it openly. And then like, there's a bunch of, there's laws about carrying concealed and those kind of vary from place to place. But it's worth noting that the infamous gunfight at the OK Corral actually occurred because a guy, like it was over gun control, right? Like a guy was openly <laughs> carrying his guns in the city um, and you know, there was, as far as I'm aware, like everyone involved in that, I'm pretty sure was like a white dude. So I don't think there's anything particularly racist in the gunfight. You could talk about it be it involving like police overreach, sure. um, which people will make the case that like, this was, this was a case of like a fucking early cop going bug fuck on some people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, Don't tread on me. And yeah, just people Did you see this whole time. I, I didn't know that that was a real gunfight at the okay. Corral. Oh yeah. Oh no, no, no. It's a pretty cool story. Yeah. Uh, as, as it perfectly accurately described in the documentary tombstone. Mm, um, that's a great doc starring Val Kilmer. Yes. See, I, yeah. I, I thought the reason was, uh, you know, like a card game got lost or something or someone had like, extra aces up their sleeve but it turns out gun control no that would be the uh that would be the documentary shit was it maverick what's the documentary yeah, about maverick. the card guy who gets like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah that's maverick. oh i need to rewatch that that was a good fucking that's a good movie my other guess was going to be a giant metal spider who yes. uh tries to take over my the third cell. favorite documentary and this is what brought about the the famous u.s law against the carrying of gigantic metal spiders right right right, um, right yeah. which i consider to be the civil rights era of the day i think yeah, of course i think access to giant metal spiders should be democratized <laughs> um i mean i'm not that's just a legit well the only thing idea. that stops a bad guy with a giant metal spider is a good guy with a giant i would metal argue spider. that you can't be a bad guy with a giant metal spider <laughs> agreed because look no matter what it's doing if i get to see a giant metal spider tromping around town my days mm-hmm. improved like yeah, I don't care yeah. what that spider's going everyone feels doing. safe and happy everybody feels better with a giant metal spider <laughs> so <clears throat> this podcast is brought to you by giantmetalspider.com <laughs> promo code giant metal spider <laughs> yeah. right. get yours today you're actually right on time because it is that it is about oh. that time wow well look everybody's talking a lot about ar-15s you know what's more powerful than an ar-15 a metal spider spider the size of, of the Chrysler building. <laughs> uh, that is scary. Yeah. Yeah. Happy pride from tomboy X celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded queer run and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast to live and die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, 
a military-trained seduction spy, reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men... How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're back. So you have, you know, again, the Wild West, how common gunfights and stuff were, especially in like cities and towns Mm -hmm. is exaggerated. Um, but also there was a lot of like, there were a lot of robberies. There were a lot of crimes like, and, and it's, it's the same as it is today. Like the gunfights that have kind of come down to history were like the ones that the media went nuts on in the day, like the gunfight at the OK Corral. Right. Um, but broadly speaking, by the, the end of the 1800s, most places in the United States had banned the concealed carrying of handguns, um, mm. although open carrying remained legal in a lot of places. We'll talk about when that ended. Mm. Uh, in 1893, the government of Texas said that, quote, the mission of the concealed deadly weapon is murder to check it as the duty of every self-respecting law abiding man. And again, he was probably saying that primarily because he didn't want black people to have concealed guns. Yeah, this is yeah, the governor yeah, yeah. of Texas in 1893. Yeah. So do keep that in mind. But um, U.S. gun control in this period was at least deeply preoccupied with the specter of armed black people. And even where laws were perfectly reasonable, they were often used specifically to enforce white supremacy, even if that hadn't been the initial intent of the law. Lanzetta writes, quote, 
Another example of discrimination is found in legal proceedings during the Jim Crow era involved an 11-year-old black boy with a toy gun. In St. Louis in 1900, it was illegal to fire a gun within city limits, and the boy was charged for violating this law. However, when his case was being reviewed by a judge to determine his guilt, it was discovered that the gun was fake. Knowing this new information, the judge should have dropped all charges, given that it is not possible to fire a fake gun. But this was not the case. Instead, the boy was found guilty, and the judge fined him $10, almost $310 today. Which is interesting. I did uh, again another thing that goes back very far is black kids being penalized for having toy guns. Right, exactly. Um, quite, well, quite far back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's literally just these are like rulings. It's like, well, you scared me. Yeah, that's well, that's the entire thing. That has and, been the I believe the explanation for the deaths of countless, countless black yeah. people. Well, and it's also just like this. I, I was scared. Perhaps we don't like perhaps we're fundamentally frightened by the concept, even if it's a toy of like Mm -hmm. black people having guns, because that's how we maintain our power over them. Right. Right. Um, Which is, again, even in these areas where concealed carrying or open carrying is illegal, it's generally not illegal for white people to do if they're being vigilantes. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is a key aspect of this period. Uh, And this brings us back to the glorious state of Texas. Like much of the South after the Civil Rights Act, legislators had to at least pretend that their laws meant to disarm black people were not motivated by racism. Mm -hmm. Brendan Rivas from Texas Christian University writes, quote, the post 1865 laws, however, used race neutral language to accomplish a racially motivated goal. Most of these laws attempted to disarm black Texans, but some from the 1870s stopped to curb the racial violence of the Ku Klux Klan by disarming everyone. For instance, a part of the Texas Slave Code prohibited slaves from carrying a gun without written permission from a master or overseer, and a law passed in 1866 prohibited laborers from carrying firearms onto a plantation without the owner's consent. In in race-neutral language, the 1866 law achieved the same result as the Slave Code without specifically declaring that African Americans should be disarmed. Their arming was conditional, subject to the authorization of an interested white party. Similarly, the state's first comprehensive weapons control law did not use racially charged language, but left enforcement in the hands of local officials who could apply it selectively against uppity blacks or white vigilantes, depending on which political party controlled those local offices. Mm. And you can guess which of those happens more often. Mm. And this is the state of affairs legally in the state of Texas when Harlan Bronson Carter is born on August 10th, 1913 in Granbury, Texas. Um, now, the, at the time, Granbury's primary claim to fame was that it was the home of Davy Crockett for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and every town in Texas was Davy Crockett's home for a little while. So yeah. not super prim- uh, impressive. Yeah. Um, and yeah, every, it, every town yeah. is just, he stayed at a motel here for two weeks. Yeah. Just and he's fucking all our hookers. He's, he's like a celebrated hunter and, and frontier guy. Mm-hmm. And Harlan certainly like I, I I heard God knows how many fucking stories about Davy fucking Crockett when I was a kid in my mandatory Texas history class. I am going to guess in like 1920 uh, young young Harlan Carter is growing up and learning even more of these stories. Yeah. Um, and obviously he's also enmeshed in the local gun culture of the time. Um, pretty much everywhere is semi-rural. Uh, so he's, you know, he, he does a lot of hunting. He does a lot of target shooting. Uh, he becomes an excellent shot from an early age. Uh, and he, he, uh, he develops a, an intense affinity for firearms, shall we say. So when he's young, the family moves to Laredo and Laredo is a border town, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and his fa- they move to Laredo because his father is a border patrol agent. 
um, and in fact is one of the very first Border Patrol agents. So wow. the year that they moved to Laredo is 1927. Harlan's 14. Um, and it's the same year that a Border Patrol inspector named Clifford Perkins makes a trip to the town and expresses in an official document his shock to find that, quote, Laredo was strictly a Mexican town. Probably 90% of the people were either Mexican or of Mexican descent. He adds with horror, the only Anglo on the police force was the chief himself. <laughs> and this is an interesting, like Laredo at this point, because it's it's so heavily uh, Mexican, is is not a town controlled by white people. And the police right. are not a white force, right? You'll note that quote I read earlier states that like kind of the laws against gun control were usually uh, uh, mainly like uh, uh, put into force against like armed black people, but depending mm. on politics could be used to try to stop white vigilantes. Well, right. this is one of those towns where maybe that's more likely because the police force is not white. Um, so the border patrol, however, is not happy with the idea of a town where <laughs> Mexican <laughs> folks are running things, right? That does not thrill yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, next, so, you know, they'll start inviting other mexicans to live mm -hmm. here and they won't stop the border i mean i i love the idea of these like <laughs> of people going to a town right on the border of mexico yeah. in texas which used to be mexico and being like what the hell are all these mexicans doing yeah these communities that had been there for decades before yeah. a state of texas was a thing that anyone had thought of being like <laughs> exactly these what people the are going to change the nature of texas yeah. <laughs> yeah now this is not the texas i know mm -hmm. That yeah. we invented about 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that we invented when I was 15. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this inspector guy, Perkins, again, as exactly as racist as you might expect. And he, he decides that Laredo's immigration cops are not going to be able to enforce U.S. immigration restrictions, which are, again, geared towards enforcing white supremacy, if the, the state of affairs in Laredo may, remains the way that it is. So he carries out what he describes as a, quote, full-scale house cleaning. Now, in the wonderful book Migra, Kelly Hernandez writes, quote, he charged local officials, the chief patrol inspector and border patrol officers in the Laredo station with immigrant smuggling and forced just under half of Laredo's 28 border patrol inspectors and the chief patrol inspector to quit or be fired. Perkins then transferred select border patrolmen who had all been Texas Rangers into the Laredo sector because all were experienced, well-disciplined fighters who knew the country well. Mm -hmm. Detailing former Texas Rangers to Laredo was a strategy used to divorce the Border Patrol station from the local Mexican-American political elite. Tension quickly mounted between the ex-Rangers and the Laredo community, particularly the Laredo Police Department. While the Border Patrol enjoyed close re uh, relations with the local police in most borderland communities, in 1927, several officers of the Laredo Border Patrol got in their Model T automobiles and spent about half an hour circling and shooting up the police station. Holy fuck. So he... Cleans house, brings in a bunch of Texas Rangers, which is like the most racist police force in the United States yeah, in this period, yeah. and has them shoot up the police station. <laughs> oh, fucking A. I mean, like, uh, on the one hand, A cab. Yeah, I mean, on, it's, it's like, on the one hand. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, I don't think it's A. Mm -hmm. I think it's just these particular cabs. You know what I yeah. mean? Like well, they're, and it's, it's, they're going it's all, after specifically an armed group of Mexican Americans. It's also probably worth noting, but that in this period, if you're being a fucking being a being a Mexican American police officer in Laredo in 1927 is a bit different from being a police officer pretty much anywhere in the United States at sure. this point, um, yeah. which is part of like why the border patrol is purging them. Cause he's like, mm. you guys, they're not stopping. They're not stopping immigration. 
They're not like violently cracking down on people who aren't white. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not enforcing white supremacy. So we have yeah. to get rid of them with guns. Yeah. Um, and they get rid of, they do get rid of the Laredo police force with guns. Um, so the it, only it, time in American history that uh, <laughs> police have been able to be fired. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is the, this is the one time it happened. This is what it took. Yeah. The one time. Um, so it, it's safe to say that Laredo was a pretty wild place when Harlan Carter was an adolescent. Uh, his father, Horace, was among the first cohort of Border Patrol agents hired in 1927, um, and he was transferred to Laredo in 1927 as part of this process. It's entirely possible that Horace Carter was one of the guys shooting that police station. Yeah. Um, and, and in this period of time, uh, Harlan's father would have seen his job as explicitly to use violence to assert white supremacy in a place where most people were not white. Quote from Migra. Although most local stations developed their own strategies, policies, and procedures, the Laredo station was exempt until the men and the infamously brutal racial violence of the Texas Rangers slashed away at the bonds between the Laredo Border Patrol and local Mexican-American leadership. The cleanup transformed the Laredo Border Patrol into a refuge for white violence within Mexican-dominated Laredo. So they've turned the the Border Patrol prior to this, and they're all like local guys, right? So they don't really care about like, Mexican America, like Mexicans coming into America. Cause like, that's how they got there. Right. That's right, like their yeah. family, everybody like, and again, they also probably don't see the border as this solid thing because no, they're, completely they're, made their up. relatives have lived here for forever. It used to not yeah. be like a thing to cross. Yeah. Um, but this is the period where the border is really is becoming a thing in a way right. it hadn't been before. And part of how they do that is they clean house, bring in a bunch of white people and have them shoot anybody who disagrees. Right. Ugh. Like that's that's how the border becomes real in Laredo. The American way. And it's how uh, borders are enforced uh, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, in that's 19- why borders are bad. Yep. folks. Yep. Yep. Although today, I mean, there's a long conversation to be had about the fact that the Border Patrol today is extremely diverse. Like one of the things mm-hmm. people on the left particularly have gotten wrong about Uvalde is like the assertion that like, well, they probably didn't go in because those kids were Hispanic. And it's like, have you seen the pictures of the Uvalde police? A lot of yeah. them are Mexican American. Yeah. It's and the yeah. border patrol guy, like it's, it's, it's a whole thing. Like yeah, if yeah. you go down to border communities, you'll see. Yeah. It's, it's not that simple. Isn't, yeah. Uh, is always as like superficial uh, yeah. and simple as it, as it seems. Yeah. Um, So in 1930, Harlan, aged 16, joins the National Rifle Association. And again, the NRA is rightfully again, I'm I'm more pro gun than most people on the left tend to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But the NRA is like undoubtedly for for, we'll be spending hours talking about this incredibly toxic. It's not at this point. Right. Right. It's not. There's nothing wrong with the NRA at this stage, really. Um, And in fact, the NRA has its roots on the the correct side of the Civil War. Right. Um, There's these two union generals who are like, because, again, Civil War. One of the things early on, uh, the South is doing pretty well. And part of why they're doing pretty well is that like all the boys who like wind up fighting in the Confederacy's military, like they're country boys, right? They've grown up shooting and hunting. They're like, and, and using guns to enforce white supremacy. They're good with firearms. Mm-hmm. Whereas most of the Northern boys who get drafted are like city kids. And many of them had never had any chance to, to use firearms. So they're like, yeah. they, they suck with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and these two union generals are like, boy, our soldiers are really bad at shooting and it takes a long time to train them up. Maybe if we should get ready for the next war by having mm-hmm. an organization where boys who grew up in urban areas can like go in and learn how to shoot, you know, right. like th- that seems like a good thing to encourage. 
Um, so that's and the NRA up until the early 20th century is like a sportsman's association. You're doing it for target shooting. You're doing it for hunting. Um, now, it is worth noting that like from the beginning, and this was not seen as problematic at all at the time, there's a military aspect to it as well. It's not like a military organization, but part of the purpose of the NRA is to prepare people to be part of the military if necessary. Mm-hmm. And this is also the military is a really different thing in this period. You know, we have a big standing army during the civil war, but we hadn't before and right. we don't quickly afterwards, right? Like this mm-hmm. is again, when world war one happens, they have to like make an army when world right. war two happens, they have to like make an army in a way that like it had not hugely existed prior to this. So there's this understanding that like, if there's an emergency, we're going to need to activate all of these civilians and they need to be ready to like fight and, and, and whatnot. Right. Um, so, yeah, uh, the U.S. Defense Department would regularly hand over old weapons and other equipment to the NRA, which would sell them to members quite cheaply. This it, it used to be able to get like World War II guns like Garands for really cheap from the NRA. It was a bunch mm. of stuff they did like that. Um, so in February 1931, the Carter family's car is stolen from in front of their house, right? Um <laughs> Now, they have no idea who does this. Uh, this is the origin story of so many racists. Oh, go oh, on. Oh, boy, Matt. <laughs> so, again, as far as I know, it was never figured out who had done this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a couple of weeks after their car is stolen, on March 3rd, 1931, while Horace Carter is out at work, Harlan's mother sees three Hispanic boys, quote unquote, loitering out in front mm. of the house. Now, she says loitering. We have no idea. It's ent- they may have just been like walking around or what? Like, even if they're loitering, it doesn't justify this. But like racist white lady sees people who are not white mm-hmm. vaguely close to her house. And she yeah. decides that like these boys must have been who stole my car. Yes, <laughs> so, yes, yes. The, the earliest uh, recorded incident of uh, Karen. Yeah. Yeah. So Karen Carter uh, calls the cops. On- Karen Carter. Well, you can't really call. It's 1931. Some people do have phones. I don't know if they do. It's right. not easy to call. It's not as easy to call the cops. They send period, a pigeon right? or whatever those those guys did. Then. <laughs> no. Um, her son winds up taking this into his own hands. Ah, yes. That's uh, and, right. And I'm going to quote from a write up in timeline here. The elder Carter was at work and likely wouldn't be home for hours, so the son picked up his shotgun and walked out the door. It didn't take him long to find the boys, who were between the ages of 15 and 12, at a swimming hole nearby. He demanded they come home with him. When they asked why, he wouldn't say. 15-year-old Ramon Cassiano responded, Hell no, we won't go to your house and you can't make us. Carter and Cassiano started swearing at each other. Cassiano pulled out a knife and asked if he wanted to fight. Carter lifted his shotgun to Ramon's chest. According to testimony from that time, Ramon told him not to do it and pushed the shotgun aside. Then he took a step back and laughed. Annoyed by Ramon's lack of fear, Carter asked if he thought he wasn't going to shoot. Then he did. Cassiano lay dying on the ground with a two-inch shotgun wound in his chest. Jesus. So, that sounds familiar, right? Yep. There's there's shades of Rittenhouse. There's shades mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of Zimmerman, you mm-hmm. know? Like, this is, again, not... Uh, and, and obviously I'm sure like if we had been around at the time and paying attention to the news, we'd say, Oh, there's shades of like this thing that happened in like 1920 and this thing right, that happened, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like we just um, happen to know the most recent incidents. Yeah. You know, this like, is a very familiar incident. Right. And right. you can imagine even if this happened today, it would be a massive culture war. Well, he had a knife. What was mm-hmm. kid supposed? He was just defending his family, you know, yep. yada, yada, yada. Um, so it's worth noting talking about why Harlan felt comfortable leaving the home, carrying a shotgun, which there are some like obviously it's not entirely illegal to carry shotguns because people go out and hunt and stuff but this is you're not supposed to like walk out to try and solve the robbery of your car with a 12 gauge shotgun right like that's yeah. not explicitly legal yeah um but 
there's a long history of vigilante violence by white people. And so whether or not this actually is legal is going to come down heavily on the local courts, right? And so the fact, because this is happening in Laredo, if this had happened in like Dallas, you know, the city of right. hate, perhaps it would never have been even an issue. But because it's happening in Laredo, this is going to be a problem for Harlan. Did right? you call Dallas the city of hate? That's literally its nickname. What? Yeah, that's the nickname <laughs> of Dallas, Texas is the city. We killed JFK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, good point. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> the city. Um, the, the city of brotherly hate. That's um wow. I mean, not anymore, but like that is that is the nickname of Dallas, Texas. <laughs> like <laughs> um Ugh. Yeah, so because this happens in Laredo, the law is not as on his side um, as you might expect if it had happened in some other parts of Texas. Mm-hmm. Harlan Carter is arrested, he is tried, and he is convicted of murder. Um, he's sentenced to three years in prison. Again, you can say, like, he should have been sentenced to more. I, I, I'm I, mixed because he was a child, right? Like, right. It, this yeah. is bad, but also, like, I think you have to, if you believe children are not culpable in the way that adult. But anyway, this is yeah. academic because he only serves two years. Mm-hmm. Um, his family appeals the the uh, the judgment, um, and they complain for about a number of things. They say the judge is related to the prosecutor. Uh, that that self defense had not been adequately explained to the jury. That one of the witnesses was like a, a criminal himself and wasn't trustworthy. A bunch of racist shit. Yeah, yeah. They were like, well, uh, uh, the judge failed to consider that uh, the victim was no angel. Mm-hmm. That like that's based. Yeah. Although yeah. they focus more on like the the kid who watched his friend get his brother or whatever get murdered was no angel. It's yeah, more the he way was also no angel. Yeah. Um, so eventually, you are legally allowed to kill no angel. That's right. That's, that's right. in the Bible. That's right. That's why anytime I see a bunch of floating eyes, I just start shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was a biblical angel joke. Sure was. Uh, <laughs> so eventually a judge with the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals um, agrees that like the case was bad. And he overturns uh, Harlan Carter's conviction uh, on these grounds and because, quote, several of the material witnesses for the state have been discredited, having been convicted of infamous crimes. Um, It does not seem accurate that they were convicted of infamous crimes. Um, But, you know, it's also worth noting that, like, Harlan's dad helped run law enforcement in Laredo. Mm -hmm. Um, It's impossible that some of the people who had witnessed the shooting were, like, targeted by the police to provide plausible deniability for his kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if not likely, so Harlan gets let out of prison. Um, his conviction is overturned and he, he proceeds with life now as a young adult, as a free man. Uh, he enrolls in the university of Texas, but he changes his name. So his, his original name had been Harlan H A R L A N. And he swaps out the a for an O. Um, and he does this basically under the understanding that like, well, this will make it a hard, if people go looking for Harlan Carter his criminal record, they won't find anything. Wait, so he changed it to Horlan or Har- Har- Harlan? Harlan. Oh, okay, H-A-R-L-O-N okay, as opposed to H-A-R-L-A-N, right? <laughs> okay, okay, got it, got it. And again, it's it's a marker of like how different the time is that like this works perfectly for him for yes, decades. Yeah. Like people are like, ah, well, they, they swapped an A with an O with no other we can do. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, the search engine doesn't God. do other letters, so fuck it. It I was guess so clean. easy to get away with crimes back in the thirties. Yeah. My God, was it easy? Speaking you of could, getting away with crimes, do you know if you do? walked fast, like if you could walk pretty fast, you could get away with a crime. <laughs> oh man, those are the days. Those were the days. Robert, Let's bring them back, Robert. Yes, do you Sophie? know who else gets away with crimes? Uh, the 
corporation when I they was, hired I those was, mercenaries to gun down union organizers in was, Latin America? That was a mm. lob and you took it. I'm very proud of you. Yeah. 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 Drink. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts hello acclaimed comics writer and notorious scott summers hater rosie knight well hello emmy winning podcaster and totally unbiased targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Ah, we're back, and I'm just going to have a nice, refreshing sip of Oh, it's a classic mm. drink, you know? That Enjoy. tastes like locking a bunch of nuns and Huguenot organizers in a church and lighting it on fire. Mm, God, that's good stuff. Yummy. Love it. So, uh, again, it's one of those things. If this had kind of been the end of Harlan Carter's story, I'd say, like, well, that was a fucked up thing that happened. But I guess I don't believe a 16-year-old should be locked in prison for their whole life. Um, So, Uh, but that's not the end of the story. Uh, It sucks that, like, there are, like, cases where I'm like, it would be sick if he had it's like with kyle rittenhouse i don't right. think the right thing was to throw him in a hole for forever certainly right, the right exactly. thing is not to turn him into a celebrity and give him millions of dollars that's right maybe right, even worse right, right. but like i i think fundamentally you have to believe that like well if a child does something even if it's heinous mm-hmm. you have to be extra focused on the possibility of rehabilitation because otherwise right. you don't actually believe that children are less responsible than adults and, and anytime you like important. uh try to yeah. set up anytime you you know try to be more punitive yeah. uh it always affects you know uh brown well, people and people of color way and, more and obviously yeah like raymond Cassiano mm-hmm. suffers even more for you know whatever however questionable you want to think his call to pull a knife might have been although mm-hmm. i think it's again you could argue justified because the other kid had a fucking gun anyway yeah, he had whatever. A fucking shotgun it's the, like it's it's uh one of the problems with guns in America is how often uh, angry teenage boys get a hold of them. And this yes. is, again, quite an old story. Yeah. Um, tale as old as time. But uh, uh, regardless of like what you think of should be done when kids commit murder, uh, Harlan definitely committed murder. That's yeah. not self-defense. Uh, yeah. And anyone who says otherwise is probably racist. Um, <laughs> but it, it's worth noting that even modern sources, and this is something, this is where things get really uncomfortable. Even modern sources that are like very pro gun control, very anti Harlan Carter, um, mm-hmm. who will attack Harlan for his later work with the NRA tend to tell the story of what happened with him in, and Raymond Cassiano in ways that sometimes subtly reinforce Harlan's claims of self-defense. This is a very strange thing I've noticed in a couple of weird. sources. I've read a lot of articles about this guy and his, his actions can be framed in fascinating ways. I want to highlight particularly a passage from the book gunfight by Adam Winkler and gunfight. There's actually like five books titled gunfight. Um, I think one of them's like seemed to be slightly grifty. It's like a former gun industry lobbyist who like does an anti-gun book because I think maybe that's where the money was. I don't know. I'm not going to go into date because I haven't <laughs> read it. I haven't, I haven't read it, but like there's a bunch of books with this title. The good one, the one that you would actually be worth reading is Winkler's uh, gunfight. He's a, he's a UCLA professor um, and gunfight is a critical history of the battle over the second amendment in us politics. That has a lot of really useful context, including some of what I went over about like the early racism and gun control. It's, it's a good, and again, very much anti NRA, but here's how Winkler describes what happened between Harlan Carter and Raymond Cassiano, which I find very peculiar. Mm-hmm. Quote, Carter loved guns from childhood. He was an excellent shot and would go on to win two national shooting titles and set 44 national shooting records during his lifetimes. His most infamous shot, however, came at the age of 17 when, in defense of his mother, he unloaded a shotgun into the chest of a knife-wielding Mexican teenager. Nope. Not That's a weird way to describe That's that, right? That's not what happened at all. That's not That's... what happened at all. That's such a weird way for... And again, Winkler is like... He's a professor of law at UCLA. Like he's all over the New York times writing about this kind of stuff. It's like really weird that he describes it that way. (laughs) Maybe it was just like, Oh man, I've done all this other research. 
I'm just not going to, I'm just going to go with the autobiography that he wrote. This It's just like, it's like calling Ramon Cassiano a knife wielding Mexican teenager. It's yeah, such like right. an unsettling way to choose it's to phrase very that. very strange. It was just um, like, uh, people forget that Cassiano was guilty. Because he, he had a knife. Yeah, guilty like, of bringing a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> it <laughs> so, is. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, the book is not at all right wing or reactionary. There's a lot of good stuff in there. The fact that he describes Cassiano's murder in this way, though, makes me question some stuff that like maybe I missed in vetting this thing because it's it's a really weird passage. It's so strange. Um, now, let's compare that to this write up by a right wing uh, dude, Dave Coppell, from an article he wrote explicitly defending Harlan Carter's legacy. Now, in this article, he's critiquing a fundraising letter from a gun control organization that ac- accurately noted, quote, 50 years ago, Carter shot and killed a 15 year old boy and was convicted of murder. Uh, arguing against this, Coppell writes, the letter admitted the fact that Carter was defending his mother's ranch against a gang of intruders led by the boy and that the boy was menacing Carter with a knife. Um, <laughs> Again, this is also not true. He no. was not defending his mother's ranch. They were swimming. <laughs> like, yep. um, they were swimming and having a good time and yeah. being accused of doing a crime that they, did, I mean, did they do the crime even? Have, I don't think there's ever been any evidence there's, that they did. She just, again, this is a little murky, but it kind of seems like what happened is their car was stolen. A couple of weeks later, she sees some Mexican kids walk past their house towards a swimming hole mm-hmm. and six her son on them, right? That kind of yeah. seems like what happened. That seems, um, that tracks. And it's it's weird because Winkler and Coppell could not be more apart ideologically, um, mm. but their description of this murder is very similar in way, like, I just, it's, I don't want to harp too much on this, but it's like really weird to me that that happened. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Do you have any, like inkling as to why that may be or is there just a most people don't dwell too much on it it took me a while actually to find good specific details about what happened that day Mm -hmm. um and i think most people take the attitude that just like uh well he said he was defending his mom and like that that's the I, I don't know. I, I I think in part, you know, Winkler's covering a lot of ground, right? Because his yeah. book is a whole is not it's not focused on Carter. It's a whole history of like kind of the the how the Second Amendment has been interpreted and ruled on and whatnot over a couple of centuries. Right. So he does have a lot of ground to cover. It's just very, and I guess that one of the things he did was just kind of brush over what happened there. It's right, yeah, to it's just me an that he did unconscious it in that bias, way. yeah. Like the way I would do it, right? Because it's perfectly reasonable if you're covering a broad history to not go into detail. But I would have just said something like uh, he confronted, you know, another teenager uh, over right. like, you know, something his mother said. And like, or he, could, he just confronted another teenager and shot him under suspicious. Even that would be better, right? Yeah. And, and also this is, you know, you do a podcast. This guy's a UCLA professor. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's like, yeah. I, again, I don't want to like shit on him too much because it's no. like, there's a lot of good stuff in the book. It's, it's just that part i i don't get it i don't get why you would write about it that anyway yeah um so harlan carter commits murder does two years in prison goes to college um and then he decides to follow in his father's footsteps and join the border patrol mm. he becomes an agent in 1936 three years after leaving prison carter's rise was rapid if not meteoric so he joins in 36 having been in prison two years earlier in 1950 he's running the entire border patrol wow now again, border patrol is a lot smaller back then. It's right. a lot newer. It's easier to become head of the border patrol. And also, his murder was definitely something on his resume. 
You know what I mean? Like I, I probably unlike the secret. I don't think he put it on his paper resume, but no, I'm sure, sure be- certainly because he's known in Laredo is de- like, I'm sure the guys giving him his first gigs all know about it and think it's right. rad. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he also, he does keep it a secret publicly, right? Like he doesn't mm-hmm. brag about it in public again, when he's hanging out with his buddies, I'm certain it comes up fucking constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like a part of his public persona as a, sure. a, uh, uh, you know, once you're the head of the border patrol, that is like a political position, you know? Right, right, right. Um, yeah. So, it's not like today in which that would be something he would be celebrated for and talk about on, you know, oh, yeah, he would it, like he, the shotgun that he used to kill Ramon Cassiano have been auctioned off for tens yes, of thousands of dollars exactly. and he would have used it to buy an F 350 with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the daily wire would give rims. him his own column. It yes. would be a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. He'd, he'd be making documentaries with Matt Walsh. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. Times were uh, a lot more chill back then, which is <laughs> it is it is when we talk we're talking about the story of this guy who does like a racist murder as a teenage boy and like wow he really was less proud of it than he would be today right exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah that's where we're at where we're like um, oh wow he didn't make that like his whole brand yeah, it's yeah. weird <laughs> wild um so the border patrol had shifted at this point from being geared mainly towards policing the border to being a force for policing mexican americans inside the United States Mm. on the pretext of them being potentially undocumented migrants. As a result, their work strayed further and further from the border and increasingly into American cities, factories, farms, and anywhere expected of harboring illegals. Some border patrol agents had difficulty with this, right? This was not a lot of the folks who had signed up earlier. This was not like the thing that they had signed up for specifically. Um, Harlan though is hugely supportive of this change. And in fact, He wanted to expand the Border Patrol's purview even further and Mm. use it to eliminate Mexicans from the country entirely. This was justified in his mind by the fact that a large number of undocumented migrants were living and working, or this was justified publicly, right? So Harlan, there's like a racial motivation, but you you, you can't use that, like as we talked about earlier, right? Like you have (laughs) to hide when your laws are racially motivated. So the justification is that a large number of undocumented migrants are living and working on ranches and other businesses in the borderlands, often under nightmarish slave-like conditions. Now, this is a real problem that's happening, Mm -hmm. right? Like as it is today, right? Yes, yeah, Um, completely. And yeah, there's this like, suggestion of a new of a thing called the Bracero program that will provide kind of like a legal way for these mm-hmm. people to like work, but they'll have, you know, there will be more control over the conditions that they can work in, mm-hmm. um, which obviously the people who would be hiring them don't like. Right. Um, it's, it's a whole thing. Uh, <laughs> Just so fucked, fucked every which way for, from the perspective of Harlan Carter though, this is primarily a humanitarian pretext for carrying out like a purging of Mexican Americans and uh, from like the borderlands. And I'm going to quote from Migra again. Carter had convened a meeting to request the assistance of the U.S. military and the National Guard to purge the nation of undocumented Mexican nationals and seal the U.S.-Mexico border. The Border Patrol's proposal was titled Operation Cloudburst and consisted of three basic steps. First, an anti-infiltration operation on or near the border would seal the border with the assistance of 2,180 military troops. In addition to stationing troops along the borderline, the Border Patrol planned to build fences along the areas of heaviest illegal traffic. Two metal picket barbed wire fences, eight feet high and eight feet apart with rolls of concertina wire in between and one roll of concertina wire on top of the fence nearest Mexico built several miles along the border would form the fence. But previous experience had taught the border patrol that fenced areas still needed additional. 
national security. Therefore, the concertina fence would be reinforced by officers in jeeps who will be directed to the scene of any attempted fence or canal crossing by observers in radio-equipped towers. So, this is the first modern, this is the wall, build, right? Build this is the start wall. of it. This is yeah. the beginning of that. Not that there hadn't been, like, fences and stuff in different areas before then this is the first time someone's like we need to build a wall and has mm-hmm. like a concerted vision of that yeah and specifically a, a vision of using the of the wall as a system of violence in order to keep the borderlands white right yeah that's that's what he's doing here and he he invents that shit you know wow wow he's like the thomas edison of making racist borders that's I right mean, yeah wow yeah he's the he's the Elon Musk of mm-hmm. border racism. <laughs> sure. Um, yes. So uh, to continue that quote, race second, X. Sorry, race I, just want, X. I wanted to Jesus do a, Christ. I wanted to do a pun. Yeah. I'm sorry. Good. Good. Good work. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So I'm going to continue that quote. Second, a containment operation would maintain roadblocks on all major roads leading from the southwest to the interior of the United States. These roadblocks would be used to inspect traffic, including railroad traffic, for the purpose of detecting illegal entrants and to maintain safety patrols around the checkpoints. The roadblocks were planned for strategic locations that would prevent aliens from fleeing to the interior of the nation when the mopping up operations, the third phase, began. The mopping up operations would be conducted in northern areas such as San Francisco, where the task force forces would raid designated locations such as migrant camps or places of business so san francisco i don't know if you've ever been matt yeah that's super close to the border oh yeah right yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. well i guess close to like a sea border right yeah, which no, is no, what we're yeah, building yeah, towards yeah. but yeah exactly i not, mean those are the other aliens that they also want to put a fence around you know yeah. watch out for all those turtles and fucking you know don't worry, uh, we'll get rid of those in a couple of decades right exactly, um, exactly. just put a yeah. few more of those soda you know fucking soda rings in the water but yeah no not close to the border i lived in san francisco and uh i'll tell you it yeah. was a trek to get to pretty TJ far north yeah, oh, yeah exactly um so the primary downside to his plan right this is a, a pretty good idea if you're a white supremacist right sure. uh solid plan the only problem with it is that it is wildly unconstitutional so mm. there's this thing right uh this law um that that kind of gets in the way of this so right at this point in time nowadays the border patrol like you see those guys fucking walking around and they look like soldiers right they've got their right. plate carriers and their their ar-15s and mm-hmm. um all their fucking cool tactical gear yeah. uh at this point the the border patrol is like slightly better armed than a modern boy scout troop you know like they're not <laughs> they're not they're not packing that much heat compared yeah. to what they're going to be packing um, yeah and they, but they have a lot of merit badges they have a yeah. lot of merit badges in racism, but there's not a ton of them, right? So they, <laughs> yeah. they're not, they can't do this without the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the military is going to wind up being a significant portion of the effort if they try to do this. But here's the problem. There's this stupid fucking bullshit-ass 1878 law called Posse Comitatus, right? And that means you can't use the military to enforce domestic laws without Congress's approval. Oh, damn. Yeah, I know, that I know. Sucks. We all hate Posse Comitatus. Yeah, dude. Um... I, for one, think the military should enforce all of the laws. Um, yes, dude. Particularly like, jaywalking. They're, exactly. They're the best mm-hmm. at it. You don't want yeah. to, you don't want a bunch of, you know, Boy Scout border patrols getting mm-hmm. a no. fucking merit badge for walking should, a Mexican old lady across the border. We should have back drones. To 
<laughs> making sure watching mm-hmm. for people to cross the street illegally and we should have mlrs rocket systems to just 100%. bombard the area if they yeah. cross the street not at a crosswalk exactly dude we want more robocops a, and we want cup, them absolutely to be yeah federal yeah yeah uh, reinstate the draft and mm-hmm. use it to stop jaywalking and littering yeah um, yeah yeah someone cut, you know absolutely yeah. someone like cuts you off uh someone's speeding mm-hmm. agent orange immediately mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. So this, this fucking law, posse comitatus really, really grinds Harlan's gears. Um, so obviously I I should also note here that like the fact that it's the military is not supposed to be used to enforce the law. doesn't mean it isn't right. If you've casually Googled the Watts riots, you know, the government has a way of finding out, figure making it, being able to use soldiers to do cop shit when it needs to. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but in this case, the government wasn't willing to like push things that far. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the general who's like job it is to like basically the general who's liaising with carter is this guy named swing who really wants to do this like he's Mm. a racist too um but he's like hey we can't make this work legally right now but we could do it if the president issued a proclamation um Mm. like it's not impossible to do but like it's you'd have to get eisenhower on board so harlan carter gets in touch with eisenhower's people and he tries desperately to get approval but Eisenhower isn't quite willing to deploy troops. Now, he, again, n- not to give Ike any credit, he agrees with Harlan's basic goals. Right. He just, this, like, using the army in this way is a little too far for him. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, he's not against this. So in May of 1954, Eisenhower appoints General Joseph Swing to be commissioner of the Immigration and Naturalization Service, right? INS. We don't have yeah. INS anymore now. We've got. Ice. Ice, whatever but like these guys are in so he's basically now he's carter's boss essentially this like general yeah. and, and swing had a long history of commanding troops in battle from mexico to korea um obviously you could see the fact that now a a general is in charge of ins is like the start of the militarization of the border patrol right and swing is a bastard in his own right but this is really happening in part because of like what Carter is pushing to turn the border patrol into, right? This is, this is not just the start of the militarization of the border patrol. The border patrol is going to become the first large police agency to militarize, right? Mm. This happens decades before, you know, we talked about the Watts riots, which happened like a decade or so from now. Um, And then the LA riots, which were a big, you know, decades later, which were a big pusher. This Mm. happens way before all of that. This is 1954. So this is like, in a lot of ways, the the beginning of police militarization happens because Harlan Carter and General Joseph Swing want to cleanse the borderlands of of, of Mexican Americans. Yeah. Um, quote, as promised, one month after joining INS, Swing announced that he would lead the U.S. Border Patrol in an intensive, innovative, and paramilitary law enforcement campaign designed to end the problem of illegal Mexican immigration along the U.S.-Mexico border. No one questioned how in four short weeks he had prepared the officers of the Border Patrol for such a massive campaign. I mean, at this point, too, what was even the, the like, what were the migration numbers? Like, was it even that, I mean, certainly it's not as much as it was now, but I'm thinking about like what 1950s, 1950s Mexico was what they had, you know, the the, the civil wars, not that long ended. Yeah. Um, The PRIs in power. It's, isn't it fairly stable at this point? I feel Uh, like, yeah. So it's like, it's like what they were doing, this pretense of like, oh, we got to stop the illegals. I mean, we're not even talking about like, you know, uh, we're not talking about modern 
uh, Latin American immigration that we have today, which is used as a pretext for all sorts of racist laws against um, Latin Americans here legally. We're talking yeah, and about there's a lot like, yeah, labor stuff that's taught. And again, they have to like do moral panic and stuff about right. the treatment of migrants. But like it, it, this is all very messy because like some of the biggest people opposing the government doing this crackdown are these different ranchers and other employers who are like, right. Only who want doing to exploit, to exploit people's these labor. Like it's not, there's a lot that's, that's going on overall in this issue. But when it comes to Harlan Carter, it's pretty simple, right? He's, he's yeah. a racist, you know? Yeah. He's trying to do um, a racial purge under the pretext yeah. of like, Oh man, you know, they're not paying yeah. fair wages. <laughs> like yeah. he gives a shit. And it's, you know, it, he's, he's also like starting the process of, of, justifying figuring out ways to justify uh mm-hmm. this that in that are like palatable to right. large chunks of americans um and yeah that's uh that's what's happening in this period of time um Fun and time. you know what else is happening right now Matt what Lube? i'm gonna ask you for your pluggables oh hell yeah um so my pluggables are, I just finished um, the entire series, The Sopranos. Pod Yourself a Gun is a uh, podcast that I do with Vince Mancini, and we just did our very last episode. We watched all of it. We watched all The Sopranos, uh, and uh, you can listen to the series finale uh, wherever you get your podcast. so check that out. And also follow me on Instagram, because, uh, you know, I feel like that's where all the like cool kids hang out. So like, yeah. you know, hit me up, hit me up there. And also be, be excited because me and Vince, our next show, we're going to be talking about the wire. That's Hell right. Yeah. 20 years after the wires come out, finally, two white men will break down the wire because finally, you know, finally, someone's got to do it. I mean, that is the right group to break down the wire season two. Oh, um, for sure. For sure. Very you gotta, excited. You got to make sure at least one of you is a poll. Oh yeah, we're gonna get some. We got God. some poles who are gonna come on. We got a bunch of uh, Greek Baltimore friends That's who are good. gonna come on. It's gonna be great. But uh, yeah, look, look, look for that coming. What are you, you calling it? Uh, probably uh, when you pod through the garden. Uh, you know, which uh, you know kind of continues our uh, tradition of having a really bad title for a TV rewatch podcast. Um, yeah. So check it out whenever that comes out. But for now, listen to Pod Yourself a Gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go back, listen to the whole thing, I tell your friends. I have to know who your favorite character on The Wire was. Um, I mean, I relate the most to Bubbles because I used to love heroin. <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, shit, probably Clay Davis. Clay Davis is cool. He's a he's a state senator. Yeah. Who says? Oh, yeah. Who says shit a lot? She, she, yeah. you know, for a yeah. show that is like lifted, lifted up as one of the greatest TV shows of all time. There are sure certainly are a lot of catchphrases. Mm-hmm. It's a weirdly catchphrase heavy show for it something is. that is, is incredibly serious. You know, oh, so you got, what the fuck this. did I do? You got, you know, you got a proposition. Joe is like, I got a proposition for you. It's yeah. like, this is a serious show, but they love catchphrases. Anyways, I'm excited. That sounds awesome. Me, me too. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 